a remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, August 25th, 2023. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30 p.m. in fabulous Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8 p.m. British Summer Time, 9 p.m. Central European Time, which is the time zone wherein I happen to be confined 10 p.m. in, I can't even, I can't even attempt it anymore, that's how bad things are. 10 p.m. in Kiev and Moscow, now in the same time zone, if not the same country. 10.30 p.m., they have a lot in common though, they've both got debris falling from the sky. 10.30 p.m. in Tehran, for all you uh, Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. Midnight 45 in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter hour time zone. 3 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth. I'm very sorry about that. 5 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne and Port Moresby, where it is the dawn of Repentance Day in Papua New Guinea. 7 a.m. in Auckland and a somewhat more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri in His Majesty's dominions across the Pacific. As I said, it's uh, Repentance Day in Papua New Guinea. So happy Repentance Day to His Majesty's Papuan and New Guinea subjects. I know we have a few uh, listeners in PNG. It's a very Christian nation. And then uh, PM, uh, Peter O'Neill, created this holiday at the request of the churches. I think it's 
12 years ago now. Uh, the numero uno imam of Papua New Guinea's 4,000 Muslims thinks Repentance Day is misconceived because you're supposed to repent every time you do something wrong rather than just once a year. On the other hand, one Repentance Day a year is one more than, say, America or Britain or Canada does its repenting on. So repent on, you Papuans and New Guineans. Great to be back with you. Thank you to Laura Rosen-Cohen and Andrew Lawton for holding down the fort. As you know, my idea of a medical bulletin is that of Lord Dawson of Penn with respect to His Late Majesty George V. The King's life is drawing peacefully <laughs> toward its close. <laughs> Uh, and I really don't like to get any more specific than that. It worked for George V. Uh, so, or maybe not, actually, if you know what Lord Dawson of Penn was doing round about 11 o'clock at night. Anyway, uh, on with the show. Enough of all that. Let us get to your questions. Uh, let's uh, see. What do we got uh, here? Uh, what's the first one? Uh, Seth says... Welcome back, Mark. Two years ago, you made the comment about helping Trump flee to Canada in the back of your truck or advising him to leave the USA on a plane for another country. I don't think I ever did that because uh, unless it was his own plane, he's not going to be allowed to board any flight. He can't take Delta to uh, Shannon in Ireland or even to Ljubljana in Slovenia. Uh, so I think the uh, jumping in the truck thing and me getting him to somewhere where he could take a flight, such as I always recommend the Air France flight from Saint-Pierre in Saint-Pierre and Miquelon over to Charles de Gaulle. Um, and Seth says, I thought it was a great comedy line. Unfortunately, it became true as a lot of your dark humor jokes do. Perhaps you should start making some jokes about more cheerful things, and they will come true as well. P.S. I've greatly enjoyed your Tales for Our Time revision of H.G. Wells's story. Thank you very much for that, Seth. A lot of people seem to have enjoyed it, and I'm glad about that. Um, it wasn't a joke, uh, because the, uh, you know, I've been in the crap hole of DC justice uh, for, uh, we're about to enter our 12th year. In uh, fact, we might already have done it. It's roundabout now. I should know after you've been. I've been there for, you know, what it, whatever it is now. As I said, it's about. It's entered. It's it's in its twelfth year now. It's not a joke. I think I first started doing this though, even before the DC thing. I think I first started doing it with Conrad Black, uh, the Right Honourable, the Lord Black of Cross Harbour, when he was on trial in Chicago. He was kept saying, "I have faith." in the justice system of this great republic. It's a completely evil system. And I said to him, I made it as a serious proposal that if he would get under the tarp in my pickup, I would drive him across the border into Quebec, across Quebec, take the ferry to Newfoundland, and from uh, Newfoundland then take the ferry to Saint-Pierre, and put him on a plane to Saint-Pierre to go somewhere into wherever he wanted to go for exile. And he said, oh, I think I first suggested Belize. And he said, I'm being entirely serious here because America has an evil justice system. Absolutely evil. 
People didn't think anything of it at the time. I, uh, when Conrad was on trial in Chicago, a couple of federal prosecutors who were fans of mine, maybe they're not so big fans these days, but they came up to me. They were, you know, assistant deputy uh, U.S. attorneys or whatever, and they came up to me uh, at the end of a day's proceedings in that awful courtroom in Chicago and asked if I'd like to have a drink with them. And I said, OK. And I said, OK, what's the deal with this 97% conviction rate? You know, all the other guys, Kim Jong, whoever it was back then, and Saddam Hussein and all the rest were looking at you and saying, I can't believe this 97% conviction rate. We can get away with something. And they said to me, well, we only go after really bad guys. This is two U.S. attorneys in Chicago. And I said, well, even if that were true, it doesn't work like that. Because even if you only go after really bad guys, you would still uh, not convict as many as 97% of them. That's just because the nature of a court system in which the defendants have rights means that occasionally a bad guy gets off. So I can't see why anyone who's been to law school would buy that. Now we have, but people didn't mind it then because it's the usual thing, screw the foreigner. I know a little bit about that too. So as long as so Conrad has the was a Canadian member of the House of Lords, nobody, the, it's interesting to me in that Chicago thing, I think there were one, two, three Canadians on trial and an American. And the only one there was any possibility of even acquitting was the American. Oh, the American. He's such a nice... The, the, the American guy's lawyers. He was just their local thing. He was just the dupe of the sinister, manipulative Canadian. And, uh, and you think of this, who the hell buys this rubbish? Well, it happened all over again, as I, the point I made numerous times. Who, uh, who are the only people? Jeffrey Epstein is flying presidents, governors, senators, powerful Americans, back and forth on the Lolita Express, to Pedo Island. You know, how many flights a day do they have to Pedo Island on the Lolita Express? All these big shot Americans. Who are the only people who get screwed over it? Uh... The Duke of York and Ghislaine Maxwell, the two British subjects. So, uh, screw the foreigner, it's all great fun. And then eventually, so screw Stein in the District of Columbia Superior Court, and screw Conrad in Chicago, and screw Ghislaine Maxwell in whatever it was. And then eventually, they get, this is working so well, why don't we screw over some Americans? as well. Like, uh, how about that Trump guy? So we have Trump's um, mugshot, which they've been panting for. You know, I think it was Dan Bongino who suggested, put out there, that Trump shouldn't put up the $200,000 bail. You know, this is a stupid thing. I never do the climb in my truck and I'll drive you over the New Hampshire-Quebec border as a joke, Seth. Uh, I mean it seriously, because it'll destroy your life. It's taken whatever it is, a quarter of my adult life. It uh, did, I think actually it did about the same to Conrad. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, 
They basically put her in jail so she couldn't start naming any names of people you'd heard of on Pedo Island or perhaps produce any photographic evidence of what they were up to on Pedo Island. A completely disgusting system. Well, we have Julian Assange, another screw the foreigner thing, uh, one of His Majesty's Australian subjects. Uh, nobody should, nobody, you know, there's some states where the justice system is just about on the up and up. Uh, but the federal justice system isn't one of them, and no other country, no other country should be extraditing to the... They, it, it's, uh, you know, so Julian Assange, Ghislaine Maxwell, Conrad Black, Mark Stein, nobody cares about that. And then, <laughs> so they again, so these people are sort of getting used to screwing over the foreigners, and there aren't quite enough foreigners to screw over, so they've now decided to screw over Donald Trump. And uh, I think, uh, as I said, I think it was Dan Bongino who mentioned that uh, Trump should refuse to pay the bail. His bail has been set at two hundred thousand dollars. You know, I like, I I like the way Trump comes out swinging on Twitter or whatever it is. But sometimes you got to come out swinging in real life too. Uh, he's expressed his total contempt. It's a racket. It's a fraud. It's fake news, uh, fake uh, trial, all the rest of it. OK, you've got to carry that through. So Bongino is quite right that uh, Trump shouldn't pay the $200,000 bail. At some point, you've got to stop playing along and then say, OK, what are you going to do? Now, I'm not a big butch guy. I'm a big mincing Nancy boy uh, show tune pansy. Right. But uh, I understand that there are times when you have to butch up. And I'll give you a small example. I was on in the um, Canadian Human Rights, British Columbia Human Rights Tribunal in the Robson Street Courthouse in Vancouver. They had a troika of judges because none of them wanted to take the actual heat for this case that none of them wanted because I put such heat on the whole crappy system by then. So they want three of them, so it all gets diffused. Uh, and a Troika, of course, there's lots of places where you get tried by three judges, uh, Troikas, uh, Soviet Union, all kinds of places. So I'm there, I'm in the well of the court. And, uh, and again, I've been on record as expressing my total contempt for these guys. I'd call them a kangaroo court. I'd said they weren't real judges. I'd mock them and all the rest of it. And I'd done something that in the... Uh, Canadian courts, you are supposed to stand up, as in the Americans, uh, when the judge enters the room. You're supposed to stand up. And it's actually worse in the Canadian court, or better, depending on how you look at it. You're supposed to show even more deference uh, to the court, in, so that if you have to stand up to go to the bathroom, you're supposed to back out of the courtroom bowing. Uh, as if you were the Lord Chancellor at the opening of Parliament. So that's how you have to do it. Now, as the judges walk, I missed the first day. I was getting a prize from uh, Rupert Murdoch. And so I flew in and the uh, judges, the three judges on the Tuesday morning, I'm there, the three judges walk into the courtroom. I don't stand up. Ezra Levant and I are the only guys in the courtroom who don't stand up because... We've decided they're, kangaroo, they're a kangaroo court who merits only contempt. Uh, that was the Tuesday morning. By Thursday, half the people in the court weren't standing up for the judges. So, you know, I'm consistent in my contempt 
for the process. I'd be interested to know whether Trump stood up for the judges in the this lousy uh, court in Georgia or wherever the hell it is. Uh, so on Wednesday, I'm obviously I've got a lot of fans were coming to court to see me and so on Wednesday I'm standing in the well of the court we're waiting for the judges to come in and I'm autographing books America Alone which uh, I think had just come out in paperback and the uh, Human Rights Tribunal had conveniently arranged the trial as a as a promotional tie-in and this British Columbia sheriff uh, comes up to me and says that the judges have asked if I could not autograph my book in the well of the court. Uh, I say, uh, I'm well aware where this is going. So I say, oh, because if I keep doing it, you're going to have to arrest me? Is that what happens? And uh, he goes, well, I'm not saying we'd want to do that, sir. But yes, uh, technically, we would have to arrest you for defying the judge's order. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me then. And he went off. He was a bit miffed. He went off. He consulted with the other sheriff. And then they both went backstage to consult, presumably, with the judges or whatever. And I never heard another word about it. You've got to call them on this crap. So uh, I shouldn't, you know, I'm just, as I said, I'm just a Nancy boy Canadian. But Trump can't be butch on Twitter and non-butch in the courtroom. So he shouldn't be standing up for the judges. And because the process isn't worth respecting, you've got a corrupt justice system here. You don't have equality before the law in the United States. It's a big problem. And he's the best example of that. It's a, you know, again, I'm sort of a bit rambling here because I'm over-medicated. Did you see this guy, Mike Pence, on uh, the stupid debate he's doing all it's like somebody handed him a it might as well he'd have been better off instead of doing reagan script on you know some xerox copy from 1982 he'd be better off just reading off the parchment from uh, george washington in 17 whatever the uh he mike pence is up there doing all this reagan nostalgia oh we've always been the shining city on a hill are you out of your mind asked julian assange the only thing that's shining is the light in the supermax where they're gonna bang him up uh where no one will get to figure out what he died of that's your shining city. How can even a crap wanker like Mike Pence be delivering all this Reagan stuff from 1983 that is totally irrelevant to today's America? So sometimes, if you're going to be consistent, like me in the crappy old Robson Street courthouse in Vancouver, you're going to say, okay, yeah, I'm pissing on these guys all over the internet, on TV and radio and print magazines, so I've got to actually piss on them in the courtroom too. And Trump should actually do that. Uh, he says, I'm not going to pay them. It's the, the bail is ridiculous. How's he going to get out of the country? He didn't take my advice. How's he going to get out of the country now? Uh... So the bail thing is rubbish. He's not a flight risk or anything. He should absolutely not. And dare them to say, okay, okay, you want to put me in jail? Because uh, right now my uh, poll number, you know, whatever it was in that CBS poll, 62%, I think that's a bit wimpy. And I'd like to get it up to 87%. And that would be the easiest way of doing it. Uh, I th I think so. Yeah, I went a bit long on that. I got a bit carried away 
but I did think that Bongino point was very good. Scott Scherzer writes from Miami Beach. Assuming you make it to 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Well, I've made it to 3 p.m. The question is, well, I can make it to 4 p.m. I got a little too excited there. Uh, it's so nice to have you back, says Scott. Have you been offered Italian citizenship yet? How do the Italian nurses stack up? <laughs> Sorry, Scott. Don't say Italian nurses and stacked in the same sentence. It's, it's more than my bum ticker can take. Uh, do you think that Trump should have called the bluff of the Fulton County DA and not posted bail? Would the spectacle of a former president being incarcerated have changed the dynamic? Would a significant portion of the public be snapped back to reality and say that enough is enough? I'm not sure if the Georgia penal system issues orange jumpsuits or the more traditional stripes, but with the help of a stylist, I'm sure Trump could make either work for him. Take good care of yourself and make it home before your passport expires. Well, we, we were just talking about that, uh, Scott. And I think, I don't think it's, when you put it right, a significant portion of the public would look at where this thing is. You know, you can't be a shining city on a hill when uh, the, uh, the Caudillo in the capital city is having his political opponent arrested. You just can't. You can't. You're not. You're it's, it doesn't matter. I don't care whether you hate Trump or all the rest of it. You know, Christie tried to thread that needle. Well, you know, whether or not it should be a criminal prosecution, this is, he's not seemly. He doesn't have enough decorum for the office of President of the United States. It's nothing to... We're way beyond that, you idiots. That's the problem with that debate, I forget how many candidates there were up there, what was it, eight or nine or whatever, three quarters of them are talking like what's going on is normal. There's Pence, who's actually, <laughs> Pence doing his, uh, oh, I'm just doing, going to do old Reagan lines. There's uh, Nikki Haley doing the, uh, you know, Bush-Cheney uh, war on terror foreign policy after the debacle in uh, Kabul. And uh, I don't even remember who. Oh, then all, there's all the boring people. Do. Oh, well, I've got a nice uh, personal story. I, I crawled my way. I was living in a uh, tar paper shack in the middle of Apple. You know, nobody cares about that now. Uh, this diseased superpower hollowed out like a guy, to use an image from America alone, like a gay boulevardier in Paris. In the 1890s, he's sauntering along, appears to be perfectly good, but he's totally, his insides are riddled with tertiary syphilis. That's the state of the American polity right now. So, oh, it's morning again in America. We're a shining city on a hill. Just ask Julian Assange. This is, this is all rubbish, and it's not where. And actually, Trump forcing the issue by saying... Um, uh, I'm not putting up 200 grand. I'm the president. I'm the former president, if you accept the result of the 2020 election. 
Uh, and I'm not going to be the first former president to post a $200,000. He should, he's, he's got to be consistent. Because the, the thing is, the theatrics are cheap. But then, you know, when they say, okay, you, do you want to stand up for the troika of Canadian judges? Do you want to uh, stop autographing books in the world? No, I don't. Because I, I have total... I'm doing a bit of it right now, actually, uh, which probably won't work out too well for me, but I can't not do it uh, with the guys in the DC courts. So, yeah, uh, I think I, it, it wouldn't be everybody. There's lots of people who think now, because it's the media in America is so moronic, thinks it's entirely normal, uh, you know, they think, oh, well, we don't quite know. It's a bit all hard to follow. It's like all these American laws, it's all a bit complicated, above my pay grade. But they wouldn't be doing this if it weren't all on the up and up, would they? You know, these are the same people who, you know, oh, Black Lives Matter, let's not put them in jail. Oh, let's vote for people who don't want any law. Oh, but Trump, Trump, when, when we've ceased enforcing any of the laws... When, when you can go into any store on Fifth Avenue and do all the looting you want, the one, the one law there should still be a law for is that whatever Trump did, he should be in jail for it. This is a stupid, moronic uh, media culture. And Democrats, I mean, one good thing is that uh, on the streets of Democrat cities, these guys are now living with the consequences. Um, Steve from Soyai, I guess it's because I haven't been on the air, really, anywhere in years now, then I'm getting a bit uh, long-winded on some of these answers. Let's, uh, Steve from Manhattan says, Mark, I hope you feel well enough to vamoose from the continent soon. I don't think they... I have no idea what the if, Italian, Italian for vamoose is, never mind the Slovene for vamoose. Uh, my question concerns my recent difficulties in conversing with my fellow lawyers regarding the various Trump indictments. These good folks keep reading the charges, poking around various criminal statutes, etc. I just refer them to Article 58 of the 1927 Penal Code of the Russian Soviet Republic, which is this enchanting, all-encompassing definition of counter-revolutionary action. Quote, a counter-revolutionary action is any action aimed at overthrowing, undermining, or weakening of the power of workers and peasants Soviets, or at the undermining or weakening of the external security of the USSR and main economical, political, and national achievements of the proletarian revolution. Mark, I wish all these uniparty prosecutorial wastrels would simply arrest Donald Trump for the foregoing activities and get on with it. Am I missing something? No. And this again, pretending this is normal, is not going to uh, work out either. It's like if you switch on TV, you have, you know, uh, what do you go? Not barristers. What, oh, trial attorneys. Uh, and, um, and legal scholars, people from Harvard Law School or whatever. Uh, and they're discussing this case as if it's anything real. And it's not anything real. It's simply, in Soviet terms, uh, as uh, we've just been hearing from the 1927 penal code that Steve quoted, in Soviet terms, we're now in who-whom territory. 
as Stalin and Lenin said. Once you know the protagonists, you know who's screwed and who isn't. So Stacey Abrams, Hillary Clinton, uh, Hunter Biden, they can do what they want. All these guys, the guys who fraudulently signed that thing saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, whatever it is, 57 varieties of intelligence community big shots. They never have anything to fear. Uh, but if, you've, if you're a, uh, on the other side and you're a threat to these guys, they're, they're going to screw you over six ways to Sunday, as uh, Chuck Schumer said uh, uh, just before uh, Trump took, took office. It isn't really funny, but I can't stand... You know, those guys on the stage in Milwaukee, most of them, with the exception of Ramaswamy, uh, and uh, and actually, in fairness, uh, the other guy, uh, DeSantis, who wasn't pretending any of this was normal. But Pence doing his morning in America crap. And, uh, you know, who's the happy face guy? Tim Scott, you know, oh, I was born in a tar paper. This is all rubbish. This is all rubbish. Pretending this is a normal election is actually doing a huge disservice uh, to what's, uh, what's going on in America at the moment. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm already losing my voice. Uh, so if you don't mind, uh, let's pause for a brief musical respite from the hell of the headlines. Sir Michael Parkinson uh, died earlier this month. He was the dean of talk show hosts in the UK and in Australia and in several other places from 1970 onwards. I did his show every week, I think it was every Thursday, I think it was, uh, for a few years at LBC uh, in London. He taught me a lot about broadcasting, about interviewing. Um, I mentioned him just the other day about using him as the straight man in a bit of shtick about teaching a non-Italian how to sing Volari for the Eurovision Song Contest. Parkey wasn't impressed by the American talk show format. He thought having a desk next to an orchestra was fundamentally stupid and that the desk killed the possibility of real conversation. And whenever I'd get too enthused about some aspect of Yank Telly, he'd mock me with, oh, you just want to be American. It won't work out for you. Uh, which brings us back to my 12th year in the choked toilet of the District of Columbia Superior Court. So I have to concede he was totally right about that. Uh, Michael and I like the same kind of music pretty much. He once had on the American jazz singer and pianist uh, Anne Hampton Calloway, and he read out a paragraph or two from a, a recent newspaper review of her in concert that Anne quite liked. <laughs> but Parky scoffed, what a in his Yorkshire accent. I don't think I can do Yorkshire accents any, anymore. What a pretentious load of balls. At which point I walked in and said, uh, actually, Michael, that review is by me. So he took, <laughs> took a closer look at the newspaper clipping and went, oh, yeah, so it is. Well, it's still a pretentious load of balls. Uh, one thing I loved about the show was his theme tune. It was written by Harry Stoneham, a great jazz organist who died five years ago. Harry played it at a hell of a lick, uh, but as the decades rolled by, it got slower and sounded even better. Here it is with Phil 
Collins sitting in on drums, a bit too plonkingly rock and rolly, I'd say, for such a loose, jazzy tune, but see what you think. Parkinson show and that applause is because Parky has walked down the stairs uh, and uh, tipped his hat to the band. The music was written by Harry Stoneham in 1970 and heard on TV and radio in the UK, in Australia and in many other places for the next 40 years. That was Laurie Holloway and the band with the tune slowed down, orchestrated and with uh, Phil Collins sitting in on drums on a 1980, 1998 edition of the show. Parkey got all the big name guests except one. He always wanted to land Frank Sinatra and he'd had Sammy Carl on the show. Sammy was the lyricist of The Tender Trap, Come Fly With Me, All The Way, My Kind Of Town. And he was the one who connected me with Sinatra because Sammy was very generous like that and Frank owed him. Uh, And in fact, it was Sammy Khan who connected Michael Parkinson with Frank. Might even have been me who suggested to Sammy that he do that. Anyway, Parky was out in California one time and Sammy invited him to a party and sort of inveigled him into a corner with Sinatra. And Michael and Frank were shooting the breeze and getting along great. And as the party wound down, Michael said, hey, great talking with you, Frank. Maybe see you in London. And Frank said, yeah, sure thing, David. (laughs) By the way, just for the record, (laughs) he got my name right. Uh, Michael loved to tell that anecdote against himself. I guess he, uh, Frank might have been confusing him with David Frost, possibly, but it would have been a great interview. Here's one he did get, Fred Astaire. Aside from being a dancer, a singer, an actor, Fred was a songwriter, uh, just because he liked doing it. And on Parkinson in the 70s, he sang a brand new song 
He'd just written a Valentine to Los Angeles. Well, the first one you're, you're going to sing is, in fact, a, a song about Los Angeles, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so, well, that's fine. And it's called City of the Angels. Gather round me, join me in a toast To that California town I love the most City of the angels, pretty city of the angels That's the only place I really want to be Life's a taste of honey When the days are bright and sunny while you dream of picking money off a tree City of the angels, pretty city of the angels How I hate to leave her even for a while Especially when it's cloudy She's got ways of saying howdy Making everyone so proud He wears a smile L.A. doesn't begin to describe her name She'll stay under your skin like a dame Who became quite famous Now if you've got a craven, if you're looking for a haven all my best advice I'm saving for the end Train or boat or jet there Just as soon as you can get there And I'll bet that you'll be met there by a friend Splash in the sea and foam Cash in Paris and Rome just a little change will make the city of the angels your home. Raven, if you're looking for a haven, all my best advice I'll tell you once again. Train or boat or jet there, just as soon as you can get there, and I'll bet that you'll be met there by a friend. Oh, somewhere the hearts are fine. Come stars still shine and you'll be sitting pretty in the city of those angels of Fred Astaire on The Parkinson Show singing City of the Angels, a song he wrote with Tommy Wolfe. Mr. Wolfe is best known 
as the composer of Spring Can Really Hang You Up the Most, but uh, by the time he was writing with Fred, he was mostly writing lyrics. Sometimes people uh, switch like that. City of the Angels. I wonder what Fred Astaire and Tommy Wolfe would write if they had lived to see the Los Angeles of today. You know, as I was listening to that, I suddenly remembered a, a lovely evening I had just a couple of years back with my sweet gingerbread gal, Jessica Martin, and Fred's daughter, Ava Astaire, and her husband. Uh, Jessica and Ava did an Astaire tribute at the London Palladium one time, and they stayed friends, and so I had the pleasure of telling Ava how much I liked her dad's songwriting and piano playing. If you watch any Astaire movie where he plays an upright piano, you'll notice they take the wooden panel off the front. So if you know your pianos, uh, you can see that the hammers are striking in all the right places and that therefore it's actually Fred himself playing the old Joanna. He's not just pretending to. I didn't think it was a big deal at the time, me chit-chatting with Ava Astaire about her dad, but from my sick bed, it seems like the kind of evening that will never come again. A lot of things are not going to come again. That's uh, Fred singing Astaire on Parkinson. And I thank Michael, Sir Michael as he became, uh, for bringing us that and many other unique performances. Uh, Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. It's 20 to 9, British summertime, a little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Uh, let us uh, get back to your questions and uh, still things coming in um, on this Trump, on, on, on the Trump thing. And it shouldn't take some pansy Canadian <laughs> sitting on the European continent to be doing this. What, this is why that whole debate... You know, if there, there had to be some righteous anger there at some point, and it didn't have to come from Ramaswamy or from DeSantis. It could have come. It would have been good if that guy, the guy who's, you know, at 0.03% from whichever is it from North Dakota, wherever he's from, the guy who's doing that. Oh, well, you know, I grew up in a small town. Piss off with that. The country is going down the toilet of history. And taking your small town with it. Why does it need, you know, why are you pretending it's normal to arrest the opposition candidate? Oh, Mike Pence, oh, the shining city on the hill. The shining city on the hill is a dump. I've been in that shining city for 12 years. Anyway, I'm getting carried away now. The notorious Mr. J writes... Uh, all best wishes for a speedy rebound to full health. There are dragons to be slain. You're not going to slay any dragons with three quarters of those guys. Uh, if any of them were to the, the, the guy who grew up in a small town and smiling Tim Scott and Mike Penn, if any of Nikki Haley, if any of them were to get the nomination, you can forget about slaying dragons. The Trump indictments of a sad spectacle of banana belt republic antics that should worry Americans greatly. We're way beyond. Laura Rosen Cohen always says this. We're way beyond banana republic. The point about a banana republic is it's some ramshackle backwater 
that's of no account to the affairs of the world. When the so-called superpower starts carrying on in the same way, that's a lot more serious because it can be a... Um, uh, it, it can be a banana republic on an unlimited... But most banana republics don't have multi-trillion dollar budgets. So we're way beyond banana republics. This is not how the republic was destined to be. Don't get me into that. You'll have me doing the uh, old uh, don't wave your constitution at me thing. Sure, Trump is not the best model for the saintly martyr by any stretch, but it's pathetic just as a... You never get that. Again... I'm just basically, I can relate to what the guy is going through in this respect. Uh, because I used to say that at the time I got into trouble with the Canadian human rights guys, I used to say, I'm not the best model for the saintly Mart. It would be much better if they decided to do it to, um, uh, to uh, Margaret Atwood or somebody like that. And, uh, the, but, the, but as... Margaret Atwood well understood if they do it to me and see how that goes uh, and if that works they'll be coming uh, for the rest of them uh, next and so the thing is you can't avoid this they're doing it to Trump to destroy not Trump but to destroy any challenge to the uh, to to, to to, to the, the way the Democrats have got this thing lined up. So the idea that you could nominate Nikki Haley and that she'd be permitted to win, is that what even this bloody awful Republican Party, which is full of some of the most repulsive characters I've ever met in, met in my life, is this what even the Republican Party... Oh, OK, yes, Trump, well, he got a bit carried away, so now he's going to go to jail... Uh, but we'll nominate Nikki Haley or Mike Pence and they'll be allowed to win. You're out of your minds thinking that kind of thing. Um, uh, anyway, the notorious Mr. J continues, still at least America has far to go before it reaches the theatre of modern Russia. Picture it. The Iron Chief, is that meant to be Iron Chef, undergoes a rapid unscheduled disassembly in the skies. Yevgeny Prigozhin... Uh, now sleeps with the fishes. However you want to put it, you have to give old Pooty some credit. He knows how to do thug with panache. You know, <clears throat> since this... No, it, it shouldn't have gone like this, because if you remember the coup and him backing down Putin, supposedly, by coming to a deal with Prigozhin, you remember the deal whereby... Pogosian would be going to Belarus to live out his life. Uh, he'd have been better, you know, coming and joining me in uh, Trieste or wherever. Um, uh, all these things. I saw the same guy who wrote at the time of the coup, which I think is two months ago now, uh, that this had left Putin weakened. Now, apparently, blowing... <laughs> Prigozhin out of the sky has also left Putin weakened. Just like, by the way, uh, the uh, sanctions uh, uh, from uh, last year had left Putin weakened and the whoever blew up the uh, Nord Stream pipeline, that had left Putin weakened. There isn't anything for these commentators that doesn't leave Putin weakened. We're going to see how that works out. Damn Buster says... 
Will the 2024 election be allowed to take place in any recognisable form? The buzz on the internet is that COVID hysteria is about to come roaring back. A mail-in ballot election only would not surprise me. Uh, Trump was winning bigly in 2020 until mail-in ballots by the gazillions materialised in the middle of the night and Biden shattered all world records with 81 million votes. Way to go, Joe. Well, obviously, they're prepping the battlefield. Uh, I saw mask mandates are back somewhere. Was it Georgia? Uh, Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Uh, Depending on how things look, uh, they're going to do... Look, look, here's the thing. They're going to do whatever it... Everyone... There's people who think, okay, yeah, the the 2020 election was a bit iffy, but they're not going to steal the next one. Again, this is pathetic. Republicans, that you're reduced to this. Oh, yeah. OK, well, Trump, he's just going to get indictments every week. Um, but they'll they'll give Nikki Haley a sporting chance, won't they? You're you're this is why, you know, you don't get to pick who who your martyrs are. You just have to understand that sometimes they're not. Yes, it might be better if they were all beating up on Tim Scott or Mike Pence and indicting them every week. But they're telling you something here, that they've decided they're going to win. They're going to be the winners of the 2024 election. It'll be the same counties. You only ever hear about them uh, on uh, the early hours of uh, Wednesday morning uh, in November, every other November, Maricopa County, Fulton County. It'll be all the same six or seven counties that you hear about. Oddly, you never hear about Uh, except uh, every two years on a Wednesday in November. Of course they are. Of course they are. Because they're serious about power. And uh, the guys who were on stage in Milwaukee were not serious about power. Nobody care. I don't care if you grew up in a town of 300 people. I don't care if you grew up in a town of, uh, you know, 300 million people, like all these ones the next virus will be coming from, these upcountry towns in China that you never hear about until they unleash something on the world. I don't care. I don't, I'm not interested. Oh, he's got a wonderful personal story, and he's so optimistic. Tim, that's what I like about Tim Scott. He's got such a sunny personality. Why would you want a sunny personality as your country's going off the bloody cliff? Are you that bloody stupid? Yeah, they're already. This is this is the all oh, COVID new variant. Yes, new variant could be coming in. Yes, uh, might come in, you know, late spring, early summer 2024. And we're going to have to have a big serious think about ways of uh, uh, of shoring up all the election processes all over again. Uh, Chris Davis says, Mark, it's wonderful to have you back. And I hope this club <laughs> Q&A appearance denotes an uptick in the efficacy of your cardiac function with Tucker and Trump. Rendering the Fox News debate of also rans utterly irrelevant. Was this the week when the legacy mainstream media succumbed to independent content creators who stand on the truth? I sincerely hope so and welcome your thoughts. Well, there's, you know, you can, that's, we've been having that conversation for a long time. And what happened is that the gatekeeper guys, the ones who fortified the last election, as Time magazine put it, uh, the old the old media are, are, are certainly fading, but 
but the new media in the hands of people who are even bigger control freaks. You know, that's what I'm doing in my case in London, because I don't want the guys at Ofcom regulating the internet too. My website isn't going to be available in the United Kingdom if that happens. Uh, Nicola Timmerman says, what a world. Mugshot of Trump, non-vaccinated Alberta woman who wasn't allowed a transplant, now dead. Uh, that's Sheila, uh, who was on our show, and uh, we'll probably uh, re-air that show because, you know, she should have been interviewed a lot more. That's basically, they refused to treat her because uh, she was not vaccinated. She was no threat to any doctor or nurse. If you look at the people who, if you look at the latest statistics out of the UK, uh, there was no benefit, no benefit. The, the whole vaccine thing was a big sham. Uh, it's doubtful. They, for a while, they had some things saying people in their late 70s, it was of modest benefit. And then that uptick to late 70s and early 80s, it might be of modest benefit. But actually, that, they don't even make those claims now for this awful thing. Uh, they refuse, they're the monopoly provider of healthcare in Canada. Uh, and they refused to treat Sheila, and she went to the courts, and the courts agreed all oh, that the hospitals can decide, even though you can't say, oh, uh, I'd like to go across the street to the private hospital, because they're not allowed private hospitals. So basically, as Laura Rosen-Cohen said, she was murdered by government. And we'll re-air those interviews uh, I did with her uh, uh, next uh, next week. And then Nicola says, oh, Jordan Peterson being told he must be re-educated. Um, and yeah, that's that's true. You know, it's not... I pick on America because America is the so-called leader of the so-called free world. Uh, and... Uh, but uh, and that's why, you know, if America does uh, something, it's, uh, you know, a bigger deal than New Zealand doing it. But the fact is that as the leader of the free world, America is leading the no longer quite so free world off the cliff with it. So we're all going to be there at the bottom. Georges Pazin, as I always call him, but George Pazin is how I think he pronounces it. Um, but uh, I think I think George is out in California, but I like to mock him as if he as if he's some Poulain Quebecois. Uh, and uh, George 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 Pazin says, Mark, don't wave that common law at me. What are your thoughts on Jordan Peterson's latest case ruling? Might he win on appeal? Look, um, I don't think there's any doubt. For example, I don't think the victory I won in uh, Canada, however many years ago it was now, not that long ago, and we got the law repealed. I don't think that would be possible now. And I basically did it by, we, we made uh, the, we, we didn't even make the Canadian Islamic Congress, the guys who were suing me, um, the issue. We just made the human rights commissions and tribunals themselves the issue, and they couldn't take the heat. So we basically just terrorized them 
into, in, into tying themselves in knots. If you read their totally incoherent uh, judgments on me, uh, where they're trying to explain that, you know, oh yeah, all these other, we had a 100% conviction rate, um, but with this guy Stein, he's somehow different and we're not going to do that. They, I wouldn't get that done now because uh, everybody is far, they've been emboldened and they're far more brazen now. And I know this, this is an issue in London for me, it's an issue in the District of Columbia for me. And I think it's an it's it's uh, it's true for Jordan. It's an issue for Jordan Peterson in in Toronto that the 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 decline in the quality. It's still possible. You can still find people who will sit there and they think like old judges, uh, where they're they're not interested. The whole point about being a judge is you want weren't interested in modish fancies of the day. That's why you wore a big bloody wig. And you look like you just wandered out of, you know, uh, something from centuries ago. Because the, the point about law is it's supposed to be about first principles. And those first principles endure over centuries and indeed over millennia. And there's fewer and fewer judges around who think like that. Uh, and I'm not sure that, uh, you know, you're gonna have, I'm going to be lucky to find guys like that. And uh, Jordan Peterson is going to be lucky to find guys like that. Um, Jim Wilson also says, I see the COVID performances are making a comeback. Uh, little by little, the farce of masking is once more being gently inserted into one's daily activity, particularly in the land of the free. Would this have anything to do with the election next year? Yeah, they're setting up they, they don't want... Normal elections take place on a day. You know, it's, uh, it's Tuesday in America, it's Thursday in, in the UK, and you vote on that day. And it's not difficult. Although obviously it is to Republican wankers because they can't seem to explain it uh, to anybody. Um, but the reason you have... An ele the, the polls open at 7 in the morning and they close at six o'clock at night or whatever, is because if you've only got 10, 11, 12 hours to steal the election, that's incredibly difficult. If you've got a month of mail-in voting beforehand and the mail-in votes are still allowed to come in for a month after the election, you've got all the time you need to steal the election. Uh, Trump tried to explain this to Tucker. He didn't do as he often does. He doesn't do a very good job. But he mentioned the example of France. Uh, France uh, tried it uh, some years back. And of course, they with mail-in ballots, absentee ballots. Uh, and the uh, obviously in the dodgier precincts like Corsica and whatever, they had an awful lot of fairly obvious fraud. So they said, we're never doing this again. That was that. That's why you have election day so that it's not possible, there's not enough time. You've got to be really good, and your opponents have got to be really bad, maybe even worse and more stupid than the Republican Party of the United States. But if you've only got the 10, 11, 12 hours the polls are open on election day to steal the election, it's much more, it's much more difficult. Uh, it's just... Uh, 
it's it's uh, it's just uh, terrible, Ter terrible the way the Republicans can't actually mount an argument on that. Uh, Jim continues, uh, we in Australia will be conducting a referendum here probably in October this year. In 2023, there are those among us who wish to institute an Aboriginal House of Lords into our Constitution. Any project that affects Aborigines, which is, of course, everything, will be run by this organisation for approval. In any legitimate referendum, this has about as much chance of success as Custer at the Little Bighorn, uh, but the AEC, like almost any other organisation, let's see, whatever it is, Australian Ele Electoral Commission, like almost any other organisation in Oz, has its hand firmly on the scales, and actually on the media in Australia. That's why our dear friend Alexandra Marshall is actually one of the very few, and Alan Jones uh, as well, her colleague and my colleague, uh, they're, they're among very few people who are actually pushing back against things. They're not actually just inserting it into the Constitution, Jim. They're gutting the Constitution, gutting the Constitution. Um, even at the last federal election, they stated that 30% of Australians did not vote, which is odd because Australia has compulsory voting, uh, which I, I, I sort of don't believe in in theory. But it, one of the great things about it in practice is you don't have all this rubbish about with consultants getting paid a fortune to uh, predict what the turnout model is going to be like you do in the US. But anyway, 30% uh, of Australians did not vote. Now, that is an extraordinary number, says James. I asked for more details, e.g. number of fines sent out. This will shock you, of course, but do you know they couldn't supply me with any details? Yes, indeed. It's almost like they just make this stuff up as they go along. Uh, why were intelligent writers like Philip Porstian, like Philip Porstian, I'm sure he is an intelligent writer, but he's actually asking the question. Why were intelligent writers like H.G. Wells and George Bernard Shaw advocates for socialism when they knew human nature well? Thus, they might have plotted out how it ended. How long would Wells have survived a genuine Stalinist regime had one been established in England? Uh, well, you know the thing about the thing about a writer, if you're if you're a writer, is you have an imaginative capacity. So someone like George Orwell, who is a man of the left, but he had a fantastical imaginative capacity, so that in something like 1984, he can just push out things and see where they're going to go and. H.G. Wells at that, you know, in the same way in um, in uh, in the Time Machine, where he looked at the men and women, and um, he looked at already in the Victorian era, late Victorian era, the shifting, changing roles from the way it would have been. Uh, for most of human history, and he thought, what if we push this out? And of course, as, as we've just been exploring over the last couple of weeks, uh, it, it didn't take 800,000 years. We're screwed, and it's only taken a century. Um, so 
so that's what they have, that great imaginative capacity. And the downside of that is that they are, they are often also attracted to the grand solution for where their imaginative capacity leads them. And that's certainly true in Wells's case, a little different with Bernard Shaw. I was a consultant to the Bernard Shaw estate. He left his uh, estate to the Society of Writers in uh, London. And uh, so uh, you had to get my permission if you wanted to um, turn one of his plays into a musical and get another My Fair Lady out of it. And uh, so that meant that I became more familiar with a lot of the rarely performed plays than I was otherwise. And again, he was he 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 was even on things that were close to his home, like John Bull's Other Island about Ireland. Um, he he's sometimes there were huge things he missed and that's fine you know that's that's fine there's some you don't have to be good at everything nobody nobody wants an opera libretto by pg woodhouse or whatever you know sometimes you just although actually he was very good at operetta libretti <laughs> so maybe i'm undermining my own argument there that what i'm saying is the imaginative capacity and then the grand solution to the things often go hand in hand. David Kelly Wood writes, Mark, thanks for expanding my horizon with the latest edition of Tales for Our Time. Out of Time has gone from just being the track that followed Lady Jane on the Rolling Stones Flowers LP. Oh, we can't have, they don't even play that, do they still play Baby, 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 You're Out of Time on the oldie stations now? I thought the oldies stations were just playing things that go back to the late 90s. Um, uh, so, but you say it's gone on to now representing the dystopian present. One headline relating to perhaps the most significant recent episode in that present, namely the terrible Maui tragedy, put some of the blame for it on the corrupt government. And it struck me that along with all of the present day inversions and perversions of old words has come the rendering meaningless of what used to be some fairly powerful ones. Labelling someone as a liar or being corrupt used to be damning. Now, because these behaviours are considered standard operating procedure, it's thought of as a redundancy and would likely evoke sharp criticism for wasting everyone's time, and very possibly even some form of punitive retaliation. You've been on top of this trend longer than anywhere else I'm aware of, so sorry, I guess that's not really... Look, the thing about this is that English-speaking countries used not to be corrupt. It's not a particular thing with English-speaking countries, also with Scandinavian nations, they used not... Uh, to be corrupt. It used to be the thing on the continent is that Northern Europe was non-corrupt and then you get to Greece and Italy and Spain and it's all a little different. America is corrupt on a scale. This is what is interesting. People now think it's normal in America for politicians like Joe Biden. He's not someone, he's not like Ramaswamy, he hasn't made $600 million in some tech company. Um, he's just done nothing but government. He's just been in Washington for half a century and he's incredibly wealthy because he's corrupt. 
And Americans put up with the corruption. You, you choke on the corruption if you try to do anything about it because it is, it's all around. It is absolutely revolting. Now, what, whether that played any part in what's happened in Hawaii... I don't really know. The thing about Hawaii, I mean, I have a line I started using, you know, I think it started using it just in the COVID thing. Nothing works anymore. Uh, increasingly, nothing works anymore. So when you look at some of the most horrible aspects of what's happening uh, in Hawaii, the, the police supposedly uh, directing cars back into the flames and refusing to let them skedaddle out of town, the question there then becomes whether it's corruption or whether it's simply because nobody can do anything anymore. Because, you know, corruption used to just mean, uh, you know, in the non-Anglo sense, it was somebody like Mitterrand or Chirac uh, just, uh, you know, pilf pilfering uh, a little bit of money and uh, putting their mistresses on the payroll or whatever, that kind of thing. What we've done now is we've eaten away at the system so that the system now is corrupt, so that you have ridiculous things where you, you, you've got to be diverse. So you're no longer picking people who are best at the job. You're just basically filling quotas. And what that means is that when something terrible happens, you know, you've got all kinds of people in your organization who have been put there for reasons other than competence. And the thinking has always been, well, you know, the United States is the number one superpower, so it's not really going to make any difference. We're big enough and powerful enough that we can afford to put totally stupid people uh, in important positions. And eventually that, that actually starts to become not true. And, the, you know, these are complex, advanced Developed societies are complex systems that lead uh, that need unusually competent people uh, to be able to operate them. If you look at the what's happened in the East Palestine or East Palestine, however you say it, uh, if you look at Biden landing in Hawaii and just doing that heartless shtick about his kitchen fire that was put out in 20 minutes and comparing it to American citizens coming home. They found their house gone and their kid burned to a crisp inside it trying to protect the family dog. And this guy stands up there and he starts, oh, Jill and I know what you're going through because we had a 20 minute kitchen fire uh, and uh, I'm, I've been lying about it for decades now, so I can't really remember whatever actually happened. But I think I'll throw in a line about how it almost burned my Corvette, and uh, that'll be pretty funny. That'll get a laugh. That's how you know he's actually got dementia. Any people who've been with family members who've had dementia know that actually basic human empathy is one of the things that eventually gets eaten away in your brain it becomes very hard to fake so you give it away you know in the old biden's always been what john o'sullivan on our show called a nasty son of a bitch but he used to but the whole point about politics is you're supposed to if you you are a nasty son of a bitch but you're supposed to fake empathy
And he can't do that because of all the holes in his brain. MMF says, thank you, Mark, for the history lessons in The Prisoner of Windsor. That's my new book available from Amazon and uh, all good bookstores. Is there, do they still say all good bookstores? I don't think there are any left, are there? Anyway, uh, The Prisoner of Windsor's out there. And MMF says, thank you for the history lessons in it. I didn't know about Lady Mary Grey at all, much less her imprisonment at Chequers nor the assassination of Spencer Percival. He was the only Prime Minister in the history of the United Kingdom and its constituent nations to be assassinated in the House of Commons. I was amused by Baroness Al Goaty's name and was wondering if it was deliberate as I'm sure you know, goatee is one of those words to demonstrate funny English pronunciation. If you pronounce the G-H as in tough, the O as in women, and T as in nation, you get fish. Very appropriate, given her dunking in the Thames. I will have to go back and listen again to your narration, of course, after the current tale for our time. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... I just, I think I just pronounced it in the uh, Arabic way. Okay, well, Alison Castellina says, this will to be our last one. Thanks for the link regarding your Ofcom case. I particularly like Gavin Miller QC. He's not Gavin Miller QC, Alison. Oh, for heaven's sake. He's Gavin Miller Casey. Uh, with the death of Her Majesty a year ago, all these guys had to get new business cards. Uh, Gavin Miller Casey's list of principles set by European Court, uh, European Charter of Human Rights, Article 10, which includes, quote, there is a general public interest in receiving reports of the discovery of a potential health hazard. That principle should be inscribed in concrete in the middle of Parliament Square, but I'm not holding my breath because, quote, they know what is, quote, best for us, except when they don't. That's the thing. That's what this case is about. Someone has to do this because, uh, they're, they're, oh, oh, the masks are back. Oh, really? And then it's going to be uh, the next booster that's back, isn't it? There's, they have to protect the propaganda. And as we see in the United States, they're using the propaganda mainly uh, for, uh, you know, uh, well, actually, I think that's true. It's basically a, a system of public health is a system of control. Thank you for that, Alison. A little more uh, music for you on our Clubland Q&A, because uh, uh, I'm beginning to lose it, I think. Uh, the headline on our Q&A graphic today was Ramaswamy Ding Dong, if you take a look at it. Uh, which attests to the way all the other guys were having a go at him at this stupid debate. Um, uh, so that's the ding-dong bit. And then I just put the Ramaswamy ding-dong in because it's an allusion to an ancient rock and roll song. And so ever since this morning, that song has been going round and round in my brain. So... Who put the bomb in the bumper bumper bump? Who put the ram in the Ramaswamy ding dong? I'd like to thank the guy who wrote the song that made my baby fall in love with me. Who 
put the bomb in the bomb, the bomb, the bomb. Who put the ram in the ramalama ding dong? Who put the bop in the bop, shabop, shabop? Who put the dip in the dip, 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 dip? Who was that man? I'd like to shake his hand. He made my baby fall in love with me. When my baby heard. Every word went right into her heart, and when she heard them singing, "Rama Rama 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 Ding Dong," she said we'd never have to part. So who put the bomb in the bomb, the bomb, the bomb? Who put the rhyme in the Rama Rama Ding Dong? Who put the bop in the bop, the bop, the bop? Who put the dip in the dip, the dip? Who was that man? I'd like to shake his hand. He made my baby fall in love with me. Each time that we're alone, boogity 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 shoot sets my baby's heart all aglow. And every time we dance to dip 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 dip, she always. She loves me so. So who put the bop in the bop, 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 bop? Who put the ram in the ramalama ding dong? Who put the bop in the bop, shabop, shabop? Who put the dip in the dip, 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 dip? Who was that man? I'd like to shake his hand. He made my baby fall in love with me. Darling, bomb, bop, bop. Bomb, 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 and my honey, ramalama, ding dong, forever. And when I say dip, 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 you know I mean it from the bottom of my boogity, boogity, boogity shoe. The bomb and the bomb, the bomb, the bomb. Who put the ram in the Ramaswamy ding dong? He should use that as his campaign theme tune. Barry Mann sang it and co-wrote it with Jerry Goffin, a Billboard Top 10 record in 1961. Stick with Stein online this weekend. Rick McGinnis on the movie beats. Stein song of the week. Stay safe. Stay free. Stay well. <laughs> is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. <laughs> All rights reserved.